became an instant item. And pretty soon, we had that many press camped around my house, we invited them in for Vintage Crystal. We were that pissed up and wired, we told them we were engaged. <laughs> it was a lovely night, that. Emily had had Tommy the tank tattooed round her belly button because she reckoned I shagged with all the awesome power of a Challenger tactical assault vehicle and she showed this tattoo off to all the snappers. Well, next day her taut, muscled little Tommy was on the front page of every single paper in the country. Emily loved it. She spread them front pages on the floor and knelt among them sort of squeaking with happiness. Well, what was I to do? Not a difficult decision. I got behind her, hooked up her Versace pink suede miniskirt and gave her one from behind. Well, it were a celebration, weren't it? We were Britain's number one story. The circle of recovering alcoholics sat in stunned silence. Tea half-finished, biscuits perched on the saucers on which they had lain unnibbled since Tommy had begun to testify. Now, even though it was obvious who the real star was between us, she acted like she was top dog and I was just some jolly bit of rough. She had so much confidence. Well, they all do, these posh birds. Loud voices, officers' accents and a couple of great big cunty brothers in jumpers. Let me tell you, after a month or two of having her baying at the ear hole, love was well and truly dead. I was sick of the sight of her. And by the time the Brits rolled round, I was looking for a way to dump her. Oh, Christ, I hate the fucking Brit Awards! She was shouting at me and the record company twats like we were in the next county. They never have any really proper stars at all. Can you believe it? There she was, sat in a stretch with a bloke who'd sold 15 million albums in the previous 12 months, and she's moaning about the absence of proper stars. I mean, fucking hell! Well, that was it. You remember that old Paul Simon song, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover? He never mentioned anything about waiting till your limo stops at a traffic light, opening the door on the bird's side and sliding her out onto the street with your boot. I think he would have done if it had scanned, because it's a top way of dropping a bird. Bang, into the street she went, right on her ass. Me and the twats were pissing ourselves as the limo pulled away. I wish I could pinpoint the moment in my life when I turned into such a complete cunt. Suddenly there were tears in Tommy's eyes. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's just the booze seeping out through me tear ducts. But anyway, that is when I had my first drink. I stopped the car at the next off licence and got stocked up. Then I went and sat in the front with the driver and my old mate Charlie. By the time we got to the arena, I was well and truly on one. Peter Paget stared at his wife. She stared back at him. In all their years of marriage, they had never felt such a bond. They knew that the decision they had just made would change their lives forever. Their lives and their daughters' lives. It would certainly bring down untold anger and contempt upon Peter's head. It would cost him the party whip, and almost inevitably his job come the next election. The path that he'd chosen led directly to professional ruin. You have to do it, Pete, said Angela. I'm proud of you. Really, really proud. The girls will be too when we tell them. They're good girls. Smart-ass little cows, of course. Smart ass is in the genes, Peter. Your side, of course. It's why most of the party hates you so much. And this was true. Peter was too clever to succeed within the party. He'd entered Parliament as a 26-year-old bright spark, a spark that had grown steadily duller over the years, until he'd become what he was now, a 40-something didn't quite. The greasy pole had proved too slippery. Angela crossed the room and sat beside Peter on the couch. To be honest, she said, I think they're going to withdraw the whip simply for what you've done already. I heard there's a book in the tea room on how many days you've got left in the party. 
Angela Paget shared her husband's anger at the utter failure of drug policy to protect communities from becoming criminalised ghettos. She supported him in his objection to the decriminalisation of cannabis, not because it went too far, but because it didn't go far enough. And she supported him completely in the decision they'd made together regarding the opportunity that fate had placed in their hands. Each year, Parliament allows a few backbench MPs to introduce a private member's bill on a subject of their own choosing. The lucky recipients of this honour are chosen by lottery. This year, Lady Luck had chosen well, or at least so Peter and Angela Paget felt, for she'd chosen Peter, and they were certain that he had the talent to use this opportunity to propel the greatest issue of the age to the very forefront of public consciousness. Peter and Angela Paget had that evening decided that Peter's private member's bill would propose that Parliament immediately legalise all recreational drug use. Peter jumped up from the couch, too excited to sit still. Yes, even crack. I'll call for the legalisation of crack cocaine. Crack is just too dangerous to be left in the hands of criminals. We have to bring it under proper control. It had been ten days since Peter and Angela Paget had made love, a fact of which she was uncomfortably aware. She wanted to make love to him now. Would he want to too? She hoped so. Turning him towards her, she took him in her arms and pressed her lips upon his. Within moments, they had tumbled together to the floor. They hadn't had sex on the carpet for years. Francois had been watching the skinny girl with the full breasts and the big dark eyes for nearly an hour, following her from one tawdry arcade to the next. Destitution was written large upon her, but she was very pretty. The greasy hair and grimy skin couldn't disguise that. Hello, baby. What's your name? She told him, but didn't look up from the dancing ninja on the screen in front of her, endlessly inviting her to pay and play. Jesse, that's nice. You look real messed up, Jesse, baby. You want a coffee? A drink, maybe? Where you been sleeping? Still, she didn't look up at him, but the conversation had begun. Oh, man, that's bad. Baby, you don't want to be hanging out that place. No wonder you messed up. This ain't safe for no young girls. Not pretty ones like you. You got to get your ass right out of that area. You'd better come with me, Jesse, baby. I reckon you lucky I found you. Peter, we couldn't have picked a worse day if we'd spent our lives planning it. Angela handed him the sheaf of newspapers brought by their daughter Kathy from her paper round. Cathy was aware of what her father was intending to do that day and her heart had sunk when she'd seen the front pages. Two small children, a ten-year-old and a nine-year-old, had died after taking ecstasy tablets they'd found in a drawer at home. Peter glanced from headline to headline. The newspapers were almost unanimous in their interpretation of the tragedy. E killed these children. The people who took E killed them. And the people who dealt E killed them. Ecstasy was an instrument of child murder, and those who apologised for it were apologists for infanticide. Peter bit his lip. Not a good day to raise the subject of drug legalisation in Parliament. Do you want me to drop it? he asked his wife. Of course not! In the Hilton Hotel in Bangkok, Sonia finally found a television station that met with her satisfaction. BBC News had been the worst some dreary report about an English MP who wanted to legalise drugs. Sonia had smiled at that, at least. Luckily for her, he hadn't managed it yet. There'd have been no free holiday in Thailand for her if he had. She'd still be stuck in Birmingham. She'd finally found a pop channel, with a half-hour special on the lead-up to the Brit Awards. 
Tommy Hansen, the people's pop star, was of course expected to clean up, as he'd done the year before. It was as Tommy sang to Sonia via the Asian Star Cable Network that her employers came to transact their business. The man opened his briefcase. It contained only one item. Suddenly, the reality of why she was in Bangkok was lying on the coffee table in front of her. A sinister, shiny white sausage, a pale, evil-looking slug. Swallowing it was a terrifying prospect, but Sonia reminded herself that she was a tough-up-for-anything brummy bird and she wasn't going to let some drug-pushing foreigners say that she was scared. No, Madam Speaker, I will not withdraw, nor will I apologise. The terrible tragedy reporting in this morning's papers is entirely irrelevant to the issues that I have come today to put before the House. Except in this one point... It has been established that the poor older sister Michelle, whose drugs were taken by her younger sibling and friend, waited 20 minutes before calling for an ambulance. Her little brother and his friend were dying, Madam Speaker, and she panicked. I suggest to you that had this girl's pills been legal, she'd have called for help 20 minutes sooner than she did. And in answer to my right honourable colleague's question, no, I do not consider drug use a trivial thing. But nor do I think it a trivial thing that the vast majority of police time in my constituency is consumed in either pursuing drug users or dealing with the consequences of drug use, theft, prostitution and gun law. It is a simple fact that a vast proportion of the young people in this country take drugs. That does not make them all drug addicts, but it does make them all criminals. As are the young professionals and prominent celebrities Pop stars such as Tommy Hansen, Peter waved a newspaper above his head, who only last week was once more on the front pages of the tabloids, openly discussing his thousand-pound-a-day habit and his efforts to kick them. Peter knew that his hour had come. I am attempting to...